0: Hi, my name is Tristan, and this is Reza. On today's episode of Loading Screen, we interview Zach Mumbach from A Wandering Band, the studio that brought you Airborne Kingdom. Airborne Kingdom is a city building and management game where you embark on a journey as a small kingdom to expand your population, research new technologies and buildings, and forge alliances with terrestrial kingdoms.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for being here with us, Zach. We kind of wanted to dive into some of the background of uh, uh, Airborne Kingdom and the Wandering Band, and then dive into some of the specifics about the game. So I think starting off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the general history of Wandering Band?
2: Sure, yeah. Um, So I started making video games 20 years ago, in the year 2000, I guess 21 years ago now. Uh, I started working at EA. Um, and that's kind of how the Wandering Band comes into play, because we all met uh, while working at EA. So we all worked for a studio called Visceral Games that was located in Northern California. Uh, while we were all working together there, uh, we were we were doing a game called Battlefield Hardline. Uh, our other designer, Ben, left the company to go like make his own indie game. He was just going to do it by himself. His idea was he was going to go travel the world and make a game by himself, like a mobile game. Uh, so he went and did that. And... You know, he he released the game and everything. It worked out. And then he was kind of looking at his next thing. Visceral had been closed down kind of right at the same time. And so our art director that we worked with at the time was looking for his next gig. Him and Ben hooked up. And then from there, the rest of us just kind of periodically joined. I was the last of the original four to join probably like a year after they had all started.
1: That's really awesome. How did you guys decide to to form your own studio as opposed to maybe joining like another indie studio that was already already going?
2: Yeah, you know, in a way, we kind of did join another indie studio because of what what Ben had done, right? And, and you know, I think just for for the rest of us, I think that the choice was more about you know, do we do something on our own or do we go to like another AAA you know studio? When when Visceral got closed, I had been at EA so long and I'd worked at EA as a producer. And the way that EA works is like there's there's all these like sort of corporate, you know, processes and things you have to go through to get rid of a game and or to get rid of a game to get release a game. (laughs) 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 And uh, you know, I had gotten like really good at sort of like working the EA way and knowing like you know, sort of how to take a game from start to finish through EA. And so you know, when Visceral closed, I could have gone and worked at any other EA studio. I also had like other AAA developers that were, you know, recruiting me just, and and anybody that comes from a big studio like that is going to get recruited. I'm not like bragging about how awesome I am. It's just, you know, it's hard to like release games, you know, and it's, it's hard to like work within these big companies and all the constraints. And so people that have figured out how to like navigate that are generally in demand for me personally, like I had kids and, uh, I just wasn't, I was getting to this weird point in my life. You know, I started at EA when I was 18 years old. So like, Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, and I started modding when I was like 15. Right. And so like for me, like game development was kind of all I knew. And so, you know, you get to this point where now I'm married and my wife is super supportive. And, and look, even when I met my wife, I met her at 20. So like, I'm already in, you know, so like it kind of, it wasn't like, Oh, we had some life together where I was, you know, had a normal job. And then all of a sudden I started doing, you know, this crazy video game job. I was already doing it. So she was used to it and and, and cool with it. It was when I had my first kid. And then you just start to realize like, hey, there's more to life than work. It's not necessarily more to life than video games, just work in general. Right. And and you start to look around at like, you know, just how how the income at the company is distributed, who's making what. Right. And, and just realizing that like, you know, there's people at... That company that are working less hard than me and making way more money off of my work uh and so i left the industry completely i went and got like a normal nine to five job and then these guys started this thing up and had like a demo you know and they're like hey would you mind like checking out our demo and like you know give us some feedback and that's what looped me back in was i played their demo and my feedback was like hey is there any way that i can like be a part of this like do you guys need money i can invest You know, like just (laughs) how can I be part of this? And then slowly I started like getting more involved and taking on like more ownership until the point where it was like, okay, I need to quit my like normal nine to five job and and be back to making games again. So I guess it's a long answer, but like it wasn't really like a plan, you know, it just kind of circumstances just worked out for me at least. I think the other guys all had this plan of like, yeah, you know, Ben specifically was like, I'm going to go indie. I'm going to like work the hours I want to work. I'm going to, you know, travel while I work. And then Fred, who's our lead engineer, he loves to travel. So he was like, yeah, you know, let's make games that we can make on laptops. And that way Hmm. we can just, we can make them from anywhere and kind of always be on vacation. Right. And that was kind of the idea behind it.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, no, thanks so much for that. Like super thorough background. Um, Tristan, do you want to maybe take some of the, the genre questions?
0: Yeah. Um, no pun intended, but let's take like a 30,000 foot view on the genre before we jump into Airborne Kingdom specifically. Um, how would you describe the genre of Airborne Kingdom?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a city builder at its core, at its heart, it's a city builder. I think that there are like light RPG elements in there and light, you know, adventure elements and things like that. But at its core, I would say it's a city builder and that's the
0: genre it would fit into. Got it. And how how did you and the team land on this genre and gameplay loop?
2: Yeah, you know, like when before I joined, they had started like they were they had got in their head that they wanted to make like a hotel simulator. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that's just from playing other games, playing other indie games and kind of like, you know, what do we enjoy and, and what, you know, you look at like when you when you make games and you play other games, you often like can't help but like break them down. Like, what are the components of this game? What makes this game good? What isn't good about this game? What would I do differently? And so I think just Mm -hmm. playing other city builders and little like sim games uh, that are similar were just kind of the main inspiration there. And then also the game just kind of, like I said, it started as a hotel simulator. So it kind of just naturally happened, right? It was like, it's a hotel simulator. And then it was, hey, what if the hotel was like flying? And then it was like, well, what if it's just like, a whole city like why just stick to hotel like let's just build a whole flying city I mean, there's a lot of like small details but like that's the basic story of the game yeah
0: got it and and you mentioned like during research you're playing different sims you know picking out the different traits um what would you say are some of the defining traits of a city builder and, and what are those core components that you took in
2: yeah i mean i think that the big ones are like population management and resource management right management mm-hmm enunciate that word um so like this idea that like hey i have like a small thing and i'm looking to build it to make it bigger and and bringing in more population and then just there's this loop of like hey you bring in more people now those people need more food they need shelter okay i have to go do this get more food get more shelter okay now i get more people back to get more food get more shelter like that kind of thing right um and that that is if i had to really distill down what a city builder is it's it's that it's those simple loops
0: and how would you describe this appeal of this kind of genre to someone who's new to video games in general? Like, I, I I, get like at the base, I think you got the core of what makes a city builder. But, you know, if somebody is at their GameStop and they're looking through, I, I think that may not be like the best selling point. I'm sure, like, oh, sure. I get to finish work and do this now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's it's for like, it's it's sort of systems management, people that like, um, you, and, you know, I, I think that, Even outside of that, the real like broad appeal is just like, Hey, you're like making a thing and then like growing that thing and it's your thing. And so if you guys play the game, you know, any city builder really to me, when we're done, I should show you my city and you should show me your city and they're different. And it's like interesting. Oh, you made this choice. Why did you make this choice? And so, and that's part of it is like, Hey, maybe, you know, I'm building a city builder where it's got like a trade economy system and I'm going to go heavy into food and then use Mm -hmm. that food to like trade out to get the other things. Or maybe I'm going to go heavy into like industry and then use that industry to trade out to other things. Right. And so it's, it's this feeling of like, Hey, you're building something and you're building it your way versus like, you know, a lot of video games, you know, we play. And then at the end it's exactly by design, right? Like it's exactly the same experience and that's cool. But I think that the city builders kind of give people, more of like their own open-ended thing and then it's just for people that are like look some people are going to see like a sim city or a kingdoms and castles or a frostpunk or whatever and they see it and immediately they're like i want to play with that and like <laughs> i'm one of those people and i can't tell you why but like if i see someone like a video of kingdoms and castles oh. i'm like i need to make my own like i need to do that i want to make my own and it's going to be better right <laughs> and i think some people just have that when they see those types of games are really any type of game where you're you're building something versus like, sort of playing through like a scripted thing, right? Yeah. I think
1: like as someone that was very new to the genre in general, I, I started playing my first real city builder uh, last year with, with Civ uh, in a way. The idea that like you're creating a completely unique thing every single time is like intoxicating almost yeah. <laughs> like it, it does get addicting very fast to be like oh what if i just become addicted to this one really specific resource or like really go heavy into this style of play
2: it's the thing of like you know like Civ. everybody said like the Civ thing is one more turn right like you're playing Civ and you yep. just kind of like oh man let me take like one more turn and I, and i think you know, definitely for us, and I would assume for most people that are building city builders, even though like Civ is like way over here on like the grand strategy side of things mm-hmm. or whatever. I think that mentality of like, you just want so many things going on, so many plates spinning and like, oh, this research is about to complete. And then when that completes, I can build this building and that's going to unlock this new thing. And then i like that. Like you want to have that feeling of like one more turn, you know, like, oh, just, just, you know, even though our game isn't turn-based, it's like just just a couple more minutes and I'm gonna have the next thing. And then it's like, oh, but like a couple more minutes and I'm going to have the next thing, right? And like just constantly having that thing for the player that they want to chase down.
0: Yeah, I want to plus one your comment as well, Zach. I think I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I'm just like, I need to... Whenever I play SimCity or City Skylines, I'm like, I need to make this like utopian, perfect city, <laughs> min-maxing everything. Right. Like resources have to be exactly uh, like this, um, and and just like trying to get there and the incremental steps and like learning experience. I think I think is what what makes it for me.
2: I'm also like a restarter, mm-hmm. you know, and I do this in a lot of games, but RPGs and city builders specifically because it's so like user controlled the story or whatever. Yeah, that I'll like start. I'll figure out like some, you know, I'll second guess some decision I made two hours ago and I'll keep playing. And then like third hour in, it's still like, bing, bing, man, that decision you made at the (laughs) beginning, what if you just done this? And and I'll get to the point, it'll drive me nuts. And then I'll just like, okay, I'm going to like restart the game. I'm going to do it that way instead (laughs) this time, like before I even finish
0: the game. Right. Yeah, I, I think we'll get into it a little bit more later, but even with Airborne Kingdom, I, the balance mechanic was stressing me out yeah. right oh from the beginning. God. And I was like, I'll just put the houses on each side. And then like the pollution and all right. this started coming in. I was like, OK, I got to I got to restart. I can't do yeah. <laughs> It gets yeah.
1: so anxiety inducing in a way. <laughs> i had one follow-up question on that i think like one defining trait of, of city builder games is of course like this idea of having a ton of mechanics and like complex mechanics that are going about all at the same time how did you guys work on uh, balancing these uh like different mechanics did you have a philosophy in place on how approachable you wanted this to be
2: yeah so we wanted the game to be like really approachable the thought was like hey this could be people's like first city builder because we knew that like hey we're doing some things with the visuals that are like really striking that will draw people in and then the fact that it can like move around right and so i mentioned earlier hey there's some like like kind of rpg or adventure light elements in here and then just understanding that like hey okay there's this flying city that's moving around that you're kind of going on adventure and you're going to do quests that will probably bring in some amount of audience that like isn't the Frostbunk player or the mm-hmm. SimCity player or whatever, right? Like some new audience. And so we always had this this philosophy of like we wanted the game to be like really approachable, um, kind of like easy to learn, hard to master is, is what a lot of people like kind of a common phrase people use for stuff like that, but but that type of thing. And then we also knew that like, hey, you know, there's all these like I can look at other city builder games and just kind of quantify what they have, right? Like, okay, they've got like this population management system. They've got this economy system. They're taxing their player, they've got this number of resources, they've got this number of like production buildings, all these things. And so for, and we did, we went and broke down like what makes Frostpunk good? What makes, you know, all these different games good, right? And then we kind of had to look at, okay, like we have our formula and like a lot of our formula is like the city builder, classic city builder formula, housing for people, food, yeah. water, you know? But we also have this, this balance right? Like you've got to balance the thing. We also have this thing with propulsion, right? You've got to move around. And then we also have this thing where it's like, Hey, we don't, we're not so in control of the resources because the player could go anywhere in this world and the resources available, you know, could be different. And so a lot of times we had to like step back, right? Like, okay, hold on. Is this accessible enough? Hang on. Is this accessible enough? Because like when you're making these things, you're making one system at a time and you fully Mm -hmm. digest the system, you know, and then you go on and you make another system, and you fully digest the system. And so like when I go add, you know, some new system, it just naturally happens. But like someone that's playing the game is just getting all this in the first hour of the game. Right. And so, you know, you, you have friends play it, you have sort of focus sessions play it, but you have to know, like, you know, are we trying to be like really hardcore? Are we trying to be like, more on the casual side and we were trying to be like middle to casual like Mm -hmm. you know that the game you can beat the game even if you haven't played a city builder before you'll be able to beat the game you might not have the coolest city you know you might not it might not be the thing you're going to want to take screenshots of and brag about but like you got through it and then hopefully people see you know other the way other people did and they go oh cool like that guy really you know the thing you're talking about, about balancing buildings, right? Mm -hmm. And like, oh, it's just about the balance. And then you start seeing someone that like really took the time to like plan out an aesthetic, like awesome looking city. And you see like the extra layer of challenge. Like, okay, I want to go back and like play the game again and and do that, right? That that was kind of the, the hope for us. So I think uh,
1: we we've chatted a little bit about some of the influences that that uh, you know brought about Airborne Kingdom and and where the idea came from. Can you talk a little bit uh, more about uh, you know like what are the major influences in the city building genre that that brought this game about, um, and how did you kind of like come to this idea of a flying city, if that makes sense?
2: Yeah. So I, I think the the biggest probably if I had to like narrow it down to one, it's Frostpunk because they were like a city builder with a story, you know? And it was mm-hmm. like, okay, we wanted to do like a story. We wanted to have like a, a start and an end and Hey, you can keep playing it. A lot of city builders are just like, you play it forever. Right. One of my favorite ones is yeah. kingdoms and castles, but like it, you just keep going right until you're like, man, I built the cool thing. Okay. I'm going to go start another one, I guess. Cause like I, I feel done with this, you know? And, and that often is my experience with city builders is that like, I play them a bunch, and then I'm kind of I get to this point where I'm like I feel kind of done. I'm still enjoying this game, but like this thing I'm building, I'm done. I'm gonna go back and like start it over. And so I really like that Frostpunk had like a goal, you know, like an end goal, like the story to it. Um, on 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 that note, though, like Frostpunk is so um, like depressing. I guess is like the best way I can put it. You know, it's so like dark. <laughs> you know, and so like we kind of looked at Frostpunk. And we're like hey we, we like that you know and i think we get compared to Frostpunk a lot but it's like we're we're trying to be like the happy version of Frostpunk, if that makes sense you know like just things that were like going on in the world at the time when we started making this game and yeah. continue to go on throughout the development of this game kept like pushing us to like respond in like a more positive way you know i guess is the best way to put it um you know, like we talked about combat, like you've played the game. Like I understand it. the question asks itself the first time you fly that thing over another city of like, Hey, what would this game be like if I was like laying siege to these cities, you know? And, and that game is there mm-hmm. and and maybe we'll make that game, you know? But like for this one, man, like, you know, politically everything that was going on, we're all, well, I shouldn't say we're all U S based, but you know, Ben and I are the designers and we're both in the U S you know, and mm-hmm man, there's just like a lot going on politically and socially in this country and around the world that we just, and we're already kind of bummed, you know? And then COVID comes in on top of it. And it's like, I'm so glad we're making a game that was like focused on sort of positivity, right? Um, Other influences, I mean, we looked at every city builder you can imagine, but the two that we would reference the most are Kingdoms and Castles and Frostpunk. Those were like the constantly referenced games. Those were games that I was like loading up all the time to like check, oh, how they do that, right? Like that kind of thing. No, it's super interesting that, that
1: uh, you know, I, I, I love hearing how there were clear like real world influences on, on, on the direction of the game. I think sometimes there, there's this idea that like, you know, you've defined a game and you're just going to go build it. But it's really interesting to see how you guys kind of morphed it based off of the, you know, the reality of the world around you. I'm curious, like, what did you guys hope for gamers to feel as they were playing this game throughout the process and at the at the end of the the game as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, we kind of throughout the process, we were just hoping that like it was kind of like we're going for like the relaxing vibe, you know, that like, hey, everything, you know, whether or not like I I get it, like some people's their lives aren't affected by whatever's going on in the world, they're, they're good. Yeah. But like whatever you're stressed out by or, you know, we, we didn't want the game to be like another thing that's like super stressful, you know? Like it was supposed to be like, hey, you turn this thing on and it's like a relaxing, the vibes are like relaxing, you know? And even, you know, I, I our soundtrack, right? Like we had our soundtrack or at least our first song like really early on. We started working with the composer really early on. And, and in a way, like his music, influence the game you know it was such an like he, he started giving us these songs I was like man this is like i would just like want to sit down on my porch with like a drink and just like have this on in the background kind of vibes you know and so relaxing sorry it's a long answer i don't know if you guys have noticed yet but i give really long answers
1: <laughs> no you're good keep going
2: <laughs> so yeah relaxing vibes is what we we're shooting
1: for yeah that's awesome what how did you guys want gamers to kind of uh like walk away or take away from a game like this i think like obviously a ton of games will sometimes have some idea of like a lesson or a motif or something like that. Yeah. Um, was there anything around that here or were you simply just hoping to you know give people an experience, if that makes sense?
2: Yeah. I think like, if you want to get into like the deep meaning, like sort of underlying message of the game, uh, what our, our hope is. And, and I'm not saying that this, you know, like we, we made this game with six people and a, and a little help, you know? So like sometimes it's, it's like hard to deliver on, on, these type of things, right? Like the vibe and the feeling of the game. At the time, uh, you know, I, I think COVID has kind of taken over the news, right? And so like we all, that's all anyone can think about. And cool, like, of course, right? It's a global plan- pandemic. Before COVID, like the big thing that was going on in the US, and I'm sure like kind of spreading out to the rest of the world, was like this idea that immigration was bad. Hmm. This idea that like, yep. hey, like, like nationalism was rising, you know? This idea of like, I'm from here and this is my place and you're from there and that's your place and you stay over there. There are cultures all around the world that have like good ideas and good thoughts and value, right? And Mm -hmm. the more that you can like kind of take the good things from every culture in the world, the better the world is going to be. It's a long, like complicated answer, but like the idea of nationalism and this idea of like, let's isolate. And especially like in year 2019 2018 2020 and you're talking about like let's isolate this is clearly mm-hmm. not the path for humanity in my opinion and so like the idea was like hey you're going to these different cultures and these different cities and you're recruiting these different people and they have different technology mm-hmm. and their different technology is going to enable your city in different ways right sure. and like an example that a simple example of that would be that like when you get to the the swamp area there's the, uh, they all have cloth materials and now you can like get the cloth material and you can start replacing your lift and your propulsion buildings that are using coal with this cloth material and you can become more efficient, right? Or when you get to like, we even, that that's why we have like the mixed desire buildings, right? So you have like this tea house, but you can only get the tea house if you have, the building yep. from over here and the building from over there, right? But you need this tea house to like make people happy, right? Mm-hmm. And so this idea that, and I, I get it, it's like really shallow. I'm talking about like this huge world <laughs> problem, this humanity <laughs> problem. And I'm talking about this little tiny indie city builder. That, that was kind of, if, if there's any sort of like feeling we would want people to have that's at a higher level than, hey, that game was fun. That, that would be the one.
0: No, I was just going to comment that, you know, I, I always appreciate it when games don't just like hit you over the head. With that message, and it's like if it's just nuanced and actually incorporated into the gameplay, it makes it more of like an experience rather than oh god, like this game's trying to teach me something. Well, Um, it goes back
2: to the like things being heavily scripted versus like you just figuring out things as you go. You would hope that like, and that's our hope is that players pick up on that when they're playing the game. If I go back and I play the game, you know, I again, like we're a small team not to make excuses or whatever, but I think that like some of that, you know, much like my answer, it's like you handle some of this stuff clumsy because like you can't Mm -hmm. help it and you're doing it for the first time and you're trying to figure it out. And so it's like, and you don't want to like hit people over the head with it to your point because then it's like, we're just like some dudes making a video game. Who are we to be (laughs) like on our high horse? You know, and, and you know, it's like, I can criticize people for this, but it's like, I have my own faults. We all do. Right. And so it's not meant to be like, you know wagging the finger at people as much as like just maybe meant to like spark a thought of like hey the more people i mix around with Mm -hmm. the the better the better my thing is cool you know
1: yeah i think the game does a really good job of, of exactly as you said ingraining it into the systems that are in play right like there's no there's not really any element of competition it's purely collaboration the the entire time you're just working to kind of like literally build the best city possible for the good of everyone as opposed to focusing on like oh i'm trying to beat x
2: y and z which is the basis of a ton of other strategy city builder Mm -hmm. type games for sure it was one of the things we talked about too like specifically violence like this idea that like you know this is it's not earth right this isn't like oh this game takes place on earth right it's a fantasy world or you know a long time ago in a galaxy far far away type of thing right like it's not It's not here and so the idea was like hey what if there was like this place where you had like people whatever they are you know they're are they people are they creatures you know we never they're kind of like generic looking little guys that walk around right but this idea Mm -hmm. of like hey you have these people and these civilizations and like you know similar to us they drink water they eat food and they need shelter or whatever but like what if the concept of violence, like the concept of it, the idea of it just never existed, right? So like Mm. if you go and like get a bunch of earthworms, right? And you put a bunch of earthworms in a bucket of dirt and you like watch the earthworms, I don't think, I could be wrong, I might've picked the wrong animal, but I don't think that earthworms (laughs) have the concept of violence. I don't think that an earthworm is like, oh, this soil over here doesn't have as many nutrients as that soil, I should go attack that other earthworm right take their soil right you know what i mean and so like what if it's like just the idea like humans we solve a lot of conflict with violence but what but that's an idea that was in someone's head at some point right and then that someone committed an act of violence and that idea like spread like oh Mm -hmm. this person didn't do the thing i wanted i can like hurt them or kill them to get like the thing i want it's such a like human like Earth, like, you know, it's intrinsic to, like, our existence, this idea of violence. But, like, what if it just didn't exist? What if, like, no one had ever had the thought? Like, and, and that's kind of weird, right? It's really weird for us to think about as humans. But it's like, what if they just didn't, you know, I've been asked a bunch, like, hey, wouldn't it have been cool if, like, the cities on the ground were warring with each other and all that? And I'm like, yes, again, like, that could be a cool game. It's not this game, though, right? That idea doesn't exist in this game.
0: Um, one, one more question about the game mechanics before we get to the next section. Um, I, I feel like the kind of the unique factor of this game is the movement of the city. It's like a new directionality that yeah. really isn't in any other city uh, management games. Um, how did you and the team kind of incorporate that? Like, it, it, it sounded like it, it was started as a hotel management and then it eventually became a city in the sky. Like, I. I f- I really enjoy how a lot of the resources and thinking and planning actually has to do with the city moving. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe just inspiration on, on how that came to be and and how you're able to balance some of the mechanics across the two.
2: Yeah, that came really early and, and you know, they, they had the idea of moving before I joined. So I'm going to do my best to like, make sure I I've, I've heard the story many times. We've talked about it many times, but essentially it, 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 Came really naturally. It was like, okay, we have this thing floating above the city. Okay, we need resources. Okay, sending planes down to get resources is cool. Okay, we'll put some food here. We'll put some water here. We'll put some wood here. And then it's like, well, what if we put something over here? It's like, oh, the planes have to fly farther. And it's like, well, what if we put something even further out and even further out? And then then, you know, it's like, oh, let's just like let the thing move. You know, of course it's flying. Why wouldn't the thing move? And then that that flips a lot of like typical city builders. That strategy of like, you know, often the way city builder works is like there's a city center and there's a bunch of resources around it. You kind of mm-hmm. deplete those resources, build the city up and you have to like send workers out further or yeah. you're building these little outposts to like gather resources to bring them back. And so it was just like, hey, that's a cool just gameplay thing to kind of flip that, you know, where it's like you're going to the resources. Um, yeah, that that's that's the basic answer.
0: Um, let's jump into kind of the development process, working with the team and maybe some of the development experience here. Um, I, I think you talked about the team a little bit, but maybe if you can walk us through how the team is structured, what the process looked like. I know uh, you, you mentioned that EA, they, they had this like template you followed. Yep. Um, was it a little bit more free form? Was it a little bit more structured? Uh, some details there would be, would be great.
2: Yeah, so essentially like we have you know, we started, they started with three people. I was the fourth. We ended up adding like two more full-time employees. The way it really breaks down is we have two engineers uh, okay. that are doing like the technical work. We have two designers um, and, the, and design, by the way, doesn't, for people listening that may not know, it's not like just writing documents that is part of it, but it's also like actually working in the tool. It's like, the engineers basically develop the tool, but you're the one that goes in and like kind of fills out the values and, and makes it work. Right. So it's working very closely with engineers. And then we had, two artists. Um, and then in addition to that, we contracted out. So we contracted out for audio. We contracted out for some like stuff that we, we needed, but wasn't like a full-time job. Right. So for instance, Mm -hmm. we needed like a bunch of UI icons, right. But we didn't, we wouldn't have had something, anything for that person to do. We knew that was like two months of work. And so we kind of treated the contract stuff. We wanted to be very upfront about anything that wasn't like, Hey, there's a future, like, mm-hmm. it's very like, Hey, we need this thing and it's going to take this long and that's it. And, and, you know, maybe someday we'll be in a position where we're hiring, but that's not, we're really small right now. Um, and so, you know, the core team it, and now we're at five it's or six. Yeah. Two artists, two engineers, two designers basically. And then anything else we just hire out for, um, we're all remote. Uh, we are built to be remote from the jump. Uh, the whole philosophy behind the studio and that's why we're called the wandering band is like you can, we make our, every game we make, we can make it on laptops. They're really high powered laptops. We spend a bunch of money on our laptops, but still, <laughs> still right. Laptops. Um And so the idea is like, you can work from wherever you want. Uh, when there's not a global pandemic, we try to get together two or three times a year. Uh We just like rent an Airbnb and do like a week long kind of like game jam type thing where it's like, there's just some features that like, it's better for us to just sit together and hammer it out, you know, over the, over the same computer. Um, and and then, you know, beyond that, you know, I I think that we've just been kind of going with the, (laughs) going with the flow, right. It's like, Hey, we know we want to make a remote team. We know we want to work this way. We did end up using a lot of, you know, like I, I think that I was a producer at EA. So I was in Mm -hmm. charge of like organizing running teams. And I think that that paid off a lot on this. We were able to like, come in and like, you know, I just use like basically the methods I learned at EA as far as how to like actually quantify all the things we need to make for the game to document all those things to then like manage week to week, like who's doing what and in what order they need to do it and who needs to work with who and what extra contractors do we need to come in and like, and when's the best time for those people to come in. Um, I was very important to us to like hit our, our date generally, not like Mm -hmm. some exact day, but just like to not do one of those like five, six, seven, eight year projects where it just seems to never end, you know, especially we got funded by Epic, uh, pretty early on and, you know, they have a lot of money. And so like, you can kind of like go forever, you know, it's like, it's (laughs) that, that idea of like, Hey, we had nothing, you know, and now we have this like funding and, and it's very like hard to resist, like tripling the size of the team and like, you know, kind of, we had just, before we got the funding, we had just gone through the exercise of scoping the game, which is like, mm-hmm. Hey, here's the stuff we can do. And we know we can do here's like some stretch goals and here's some stuff that it just ain't going to make it. And then you get like a big company like Epic that says we want to pay for it. And it's really hard not to look at the pile of like, this isn't going to make it stuff and be like, yeah, put it all back on. Like, we'll just <laughs> spend all this money. But what would happen is we would have like not had a great future you know, it's like our first game would have been way late. Right. So that's not a good look. You know, we would have spent every penny they gave us on it, which isn't smart for the business side of things, right? So a lot of just like kind of controlling our own impulses, right? It's a lot of like, hang on, guys. Is this like, do we really need to go that crazy?
0: <laughs> Got it. And and I think you brought up a couple of things already, but what do you think were some of the biggest challenges that your team ran into?
2: Yeah, the biggest one is cheesy as it is is like to say is covid because like Mm. even though we were already set up to work remote like we Mm -hmm. had had these like planned gatherings and we kind of like built our schedule around like hey when we need to get together for these big pushes you know this is going to be it um and we were actually together when covid hit Mm -hmm. so we have one of our engineers is from india and, and he was here and he basically got stuck here for nine months oh God. Right, where he's like couch surfing luckily he's been you know he's he he worked in the u.s before so he has a bunch of friends yeah. and he has family here and whatever and so he just kind of like surfed around until they were finally letting people back in but you know like that creates like a whole bunch of logistical challenges for us mm-hmm. you know one of our main guys is now like not able to go home which like he did an amazing job but like i'm sure that weighed heavy on him you know i think there's all sorts of like personal things that happen that aren't specific to this game, just in general that maybe people don't think about, but like you work on these things for two or three years at a time, you're bound to have like life events and like, you know, making room for life events and and whether they're good events or bad events is, is sort of tough sometimes. Right. So it's just like the typical stuff, but COVID would have been probably our biggest, biggest challenge. If specific to the game, you know, I would say that like, There's not other, it's like a pretty unique, Mm -hmm. you know, like the moving around and all that. There's not something else to look at, you know? Yeah. But we have a really, our two, our two
0: man engineer team happens to be like, we got really good engineers. We're really lucky with our engineers. Yeah. Um, And on your website, It mentions that the Wandering Band is wanting to create experiences that are not possible in the AAA space. I mean, you're from AAA. Um, How are you aiming to push that envelope and what are the things that you're looking to do?
2: Yeah, that really is more about like the economics of game development, right? It's like you could never make this game at EA because the forecast Mm -hmm. just wouldn't be enough sales to make it worth it for them. Like, it's not that the game's not profitable. It's just that, like, well, it's not enough profit. I mean, you've seen what their execs make, you know? It's Mm -hmm. like they need like games that make millions and millions and millions of dollars, and that's not, that's not this. And so we've all worked at EA and all had, I mean, I've had like countless sort of pitches at EA shot down. It really, because, and they make it through, you know, the way that works at EA is you kind of like take, you know, so I have a game idea, I go to like, guy in charge of my studio I pitched the game idea and he's like okay cool this would be a cool game to make they'll go to like corporate and then you Mm -hmm. end up pitching and really what happens first is like the creative part of it you know you pitch like hey this is the game or whatever and I've been through that part like four or five times at EA and then what happens next is like the business part of it so after like you kind of get someone high up for me, like at the time was Patrick Soderland. Right. So I pitched Patrick Soderland. He's like, this is a really cool design. Like really like this idea. And then they bring in like publishing
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then publishing is like, Oh, we can't sell this, you know? Uh, and then it's like, okay, it's dead. Right. Like games just die like that. And so you have to like, it's not just about like making the case to make a good game. It's about like, making the case of like, this is how it's going to sell. It's about making the case of like, this is how we can monetize it beyond the sales of the game, right? Like I was pitching a game where it's a first person shooter. And, uh, the execs asked me, well, what's your version of FIFA ultimate team? Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, dude, I'm not making FIFA. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I don't think that way anyway. It's like, not yeah. like if I had some system, there's like, Oh, it's this online card game that I thought of for like a cool design reason is one thing, but like, we're just thinking of it for like monetization. Right. So this is more about like, Hey, we can like, make experiences that we want to make without having to like go through that. Like you're never going to see like mm-hmm. certain games made by those big companies, you know, like Activision is not going to like not make a call of duty next year yeah. for the opportunity to make some city builder. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like there's no way because, they, and I get it. They're a big business. They're a publicly traded company. They're sitting there going, Hey, every year we sell X numbers of, you know, this game, like, we know if we make another one next year, we will sell somewhere around X. If I go, hey, here's a game that no one's ever thought of or like it doesn't, it's incomparable. I'm not saying Airborne Kingdoms is incomparable, by the way, but let's just say I'm a genius and I thought of some game like some new genre defining game, right? Like the, the executives at Activision or EA, that's going to scare them because mm-hmm. there's nothing for them to look at and go, oh yeah, these games do really well and, you know, these games do really well, really well, perfect, you know? It's like, and and that's really, they have to be like, like followers. Like they have to do things. Another example, Dead Space remake. They just announced Dead Space remake. There's no way that EA remakes Dead Space without the RE2 remake doing so well. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happened. They saw the RE2 remake and they're like, oh, that's a thing you can do. And it's like viable and people will buy it. Do we have anything like Resident Evil? We sure do. We have dead space. Let's do it. The reason I know they wouldn't do this is because I worked at Visceral and we pitched exactly that in 2017. Exactly. Or I'm sorry, 2015. Yeah. Exactly. Like, hey, we'll remake dead space, better graphics, clean up some of the epic moments, add a little new story element, you know, like literally what they're pitching now. Right. Right. And 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 I get it. Like they go, why would we do that? We can't make money on that. Now there's an example of how to make money on it and they're all for it. Right. Right. That's the problem with working at AAA as like a designer or creator.
1: How did you, um, when when you were in the process of like brainstorming a new game idea or, or like something that you wanted to build, were you actively thinking about all of those different next step business considerations? And how did you like make sure you weren't compromising the vision of the game uh, for the sake of those, you know, business purposes, if that makes sense? Yeah. So you're asking
2: for on Airborne Kingdom. Uh,
1: I don't, this might honestly just be out of curiosity about your experience okay. and like past, past. Yeah. Days, so if that makes sense.
2: in general at EA, my experience was like, Hey, I started there. I'm like, you know, eager to go. Right. i I started in QA. I worked my way into production. I worked in design. Like I, I kind of like ping pong back and forth between design and production. So like early on, it's like, I've got an idea, pitch the idea, get shot down. I've got an idea, pitch the idea, get shot down. And you don't really even hear why at that level. Cause I was like so low. So it wasn't until I got to like start being the one in the room pitching the game that I realized, oh, they're like, it's dollar signs, right? Like they're immediately thinking about the money. And so then, you know, I started thinking about that as I would like, you know, pitch pitch designs or whatever. Like, you know, and I wasn't pitching a new game every year. Like once I'm on a game, I'm like, my nature is like that game becomes my life for mm-hmm. until it's done. And like, I'm trying not to think about, you know, these other things or trying not to think about what's next or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, it sucks. Like it just sucks. It's like this, cause I'll never naturally think about it. It's just like an extra thing that pops in my head when I'm like, I think about the idea and I get really excited. And then I think about how do I present this idea? Right. And then that's when I get bummed <laughs> working there. I think on Airborne Kingdom, it was totally different because we had this demo and we took it to GDC looking for funding, right? And the way that that works is like, you're going to get a publisher. And the way a publishing deal works is that they're going to like say, hey, we'll give you the money you need to finish your game or make your game or whatever. And we'll pay it. We'll do like the marketing. We'll we'll promote it. We'll do the release stuff. And then, you know, when the game comes out, we'll split revenue, right? Uh, And generally you know, the way it seems to work. We got like a dozen offers on Airborne Kingdom. So I can confidently say that like the way it worked back in 2018 was like most of them want to recoup their investment and then split, right? And that Mm -hmm. split is like 30-70 to 50-50. And 30-70, it's usually the publisher's getting 30 and you're getting 70, right? And so you become beholden to these publishers, right? It's like, And they're going to like, now they need to go make money on it. So now they're going to have input and thoughts and similar to the EA thing, but just less heavy handed because like, we're talking about smaller indies now, right? But still, hey, like we could sell more of the game if you had this feature or, you know, if we could do this, it would like look cooler and we could do this marketing thing around it, right? And, you know, we're not super interested in that. We just kind of wanted to make the thing we wanted to make up until GDC, we're just making the thing we want to make. So Epic showed up and they were like, hey, we'll give you this money. And it was like no strings attached, mm. and we had to take a deal anyway. And so, like, we took it knowing that no strings attached means they are strings, <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, and like, I will say for on 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 their behalf, like, I almost they, I only talked to Epic when I would initiate the conversation. They basically gave us a big chunk of money to make the game, mm-hmm. and we had to show them that, like, hey, we did our homework. Like, here's our plan. Here's our like. We had it all documented and all that. But they were just like, here you go. And let us know when it's ready to release. And so like that, like, and, and for a long time, I trained myself to think that way because of my experience in AAA. Mm-hmm. I was, I'll tell you what, man, take those training wheels off. And like, I forgot about them. Like, I don't <laughs> think about any of that stuff. I don't care. And like, hopefully we never have to think about that crap again, you know? like <laughs> so I don't ever want to think about how to monetize. Beyond like, I'm going to monetize my game by selling the game. Yeah. Like, I'll make a game, I'll release the game, and people will buy it. Whoa. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, this um, this idea of, like, and then they call it, like, evergreen in AAA. Like, how can you, can you make a game that's evergreen, you know? And, like, so the best examples would be, like, you know, Fortnite or, or whatever, right? These games that, like, you're just going to, the player's going to keep pumping money into, right? And it's like, well, that's the genesis of this industry. Because this industry started, they were making arcade games. Yeah. It's like, how do we yeah. get people to keep pumping in quarters? Yeah, I'm trying to get away. I don't want to be involved in that. I don't. I don't. That's psychology. If I want to do that, I'd go make slot machines or whatever. You know, like I go make <laughs> games. Like, I don't. I don't have any desire for that. So I try not to think about that at all anymore. Yeah.
0: No, that's that's awesome. Um, Tristan, did you have any other questions? No, my my question was actually going to be like, if anything changed after Epic was on board, but uh, Zach already answered that. So yeah, yeah I, I you know, I do
2: these long-winded <laughs> answers where I just try to answer. I try to predict future questions, just answer it all. It's this the, podcast will
1: just be a speech.
2: Honestly, we'll just take out the questions. <laughs> right, just yeah. cut out all right the soon. questions. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just me ranting. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes, though. This is the other benefit, or or non-benefit of not working for a big company more is like, there's no PR person here to like (laughs) rein me in. I I can't tell you how many times at EA I'd get called into like, I get an email or get called into a room and just be like, man, you gotta like, this, these are the three things we want you to say, say these three things (laughs) and shut up. (laughs) And it's like, and that's another thing. It's like, dude, I don't want to shut up. You know, like, whether it's uh you know people in the media or people doing podcasts or just gamers in general, part of the problem there's this divide between game developers and like mm-hmm. gamers in the media, and that's yeah. part of the problem is that like we won't talk because we're not allowed to talk because these companies kind of control the message, right? Yeah, yeah. I just think that's dumb, you know. And you, and then I see it on Twitter, people make assumptions about the way games were made or not made, or you know this dev is lazy or whatever, whatever people are saying, and it's like. That's because no conversation is being had. It's a one-way conversation, you know? And so, now I'm unchained. There's no one to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't
0: worry. There's no PR on our side either. Yeah, so,
2: no. we're all good. We're all this good. This is
0: great.
1: We love to see the <laughs> unhinged stuff, honestly.
2: <laughs> I mean, I imagine it's probably like you guys get a mix, right? It's like you'll probably talk to people where it's you can tell they're not. It's like they're trying to say the right thing and not, you know, mess up and... I get it. I understand why I got, a, I got a lot of heat. I got a lot of heat from EA for some stuff that I've said <laughs> that to me was like, was just, fun. we're just talking. That's part of the problem too, is like you, we get on a podcast and to me, it's like, we're just talking about games. Yeah. And you know, I, I get it. That's not the way everyone sees it.
0: <laughs> I think folks have been pretty genuine um, on, on these recordings. So we appreciate it. Um, That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We do have some leftover time if you want to plug the game or the studio or anything sure. else. Sure, I mean I
2: don't have anything going on. I got leftover time all day. Um, the game is Airborne Kingdom. It's available on the Epic Game Store. We have a website, AirborneKingdom.com kingdom.com. Uh, we're working on consoles. We'll have consoles out uh, hopefully this year. Uh, we're working. We're working hard on it right now. You know, it's it's uh, consoles are hard. Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> oh god
1: which consoles are you guys doing
2: uh we're doing uh the switch uh ps4 ps5 nice xbox one and then whatever the xbox two the what, what is the new series. one the is series okay so that's two. the deal now it's like series. <laughs> ah, man it's so confusing it's like... yeah there's too many names I think they should have just gone like because it was 360, so it's like well you got to go from there, <laughs> just, you know. So now it's 720, and then it's like the Xbox 1080, or something. I don't know, right? Like <laughs> Battlefield has the same problem going on, where it's like there's Battlefield 1942, and then there's mm-hmm. Battlefield 2, and then there's Battlefield 3, there's Battlefield 4, and then there's Battlefield 1, and then there's <laughs> Battlefield 5. It's like what's going on here, man? This is by the way, this is what happens in marketing. Metals too much it's like you start naming things for like right now if we name it this we can sell a bunch and it's like yeah but like the last one was four how is this one one it's like what's well, world war one it's like well why is the next one five that's world war two
0: that's why i have uh, so much respect for sony for restraining yeah. themselves and just going with the it's member scheme because like so nintendo and microsoft they're just going off the rails all the time yeah.
2: The Mario Mario Kart is another one that like, it is numbered, but like people don't know the numbers or whatever. So my son who's seven, he called, because we had it on Wii U because I had Uh the Wii U because the Wii U was actually an awesome console that people didn't know. And then it's the same Mario Kart on the Switch, but like they call it like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Edition or whatever. My kid's seven, so he doesn't understand like how names work yet. So like he can never just say Mario Kart. He's never like, hey dad, do you want to play some Mario Kart? We only have the one Mario Kart. I mean that's not true. I have the other ones, but he's never seen them. He only plays the one Mario Kart. But when he wants to play Mario Kart, he says, Hey dad, do you want to play Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Edition? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I, I think about correcting my did at first. So you could just call it Mario Kart, but then realizing the way that like all these you know console manufacturers and game makers number their stuff. It might be a good I'm thing, like, honestly. You like, should just say the full name and full learn name. to say yeah. the full name because I don't know what it's gonna be like when you know twenty years from now, man. <laughs> oh my god. So, yeah, I give it to Sony for keeping the number system. I appreciate that. And we'll always know PlayStation 5, PlayStation 6, PlayStation 7.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Zach. Yeah. This was a lot of. This was the most fun interview we've had. Yeah, oh, cool. plus one. Wow. This is great. I love that it. usually means I'm going When
2: usually when people say that, that means uh, that PR
0: or marketing is gonna email me the next day. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but I don't have to worry about that now. <laughs> that wraps it up for this episode of Loading Screen. Uh, Loading Screen is available on Radio Public, iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your favorite podcast directories. If you enjoy this episode, please take a moment to subscribe, review, and share it with your friends. We're also on social media as Viewport Gaming on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Loading Screen is part of Viewport Gaming, a gaming website that provides a look into video games through reviews, features, and podcasts. You can find all Viewport content at viewportgaming.com. And as always, I've been your host, Tristan.
1: And this is Reza. Have a good one, everyone.